Welcome to Reflections of Darkness. This is your gorgeous drag horror hostess, Evil, coming to you from my lair of eternal damnation. As I am sure you are aware, tonight we are talking about a movie from the 90s. And I was wondering, what is your favorite decade of horror? Mine is, and will forever be, the 80s. Though I do love many horror movies from other decades, the 80s just had the most in my top movies, and I find new ones all the time from the 80s, because there were so many done. I guess it's also a nostalgia thing for me. Uh, feel free to send me messages of your favorite horror decade and why you chose it and maybe a few of your top movies from that time period. All my info is over at evilqueensf.com or you can DM me on Instagram at evilqueensf. Well, I think it's time to travel to the 90s and get on with tonight's main feature. Don't you? <laughs> Enjoy. Tonight we are reviewing The Frighteners from 1996. Now this is a universal picture. Robert Zemeckis produced this film. He's also been involved in some other great horror movies like Demon Knight, uh, Death Becomes Her, 13 Ghosts. Uh, soundtrack by Danny Elfman, who's done music for countless classics, including Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie, Nightmare Before Christmas, Beetlejuice, Corpse Bride. So we know it's going to be a good movie so far. So the movie opens during a thunderstorm with some amazing music and an old, gorgeous, huge house. And a woman is running from someone or something. And then there's an old woman there, too. <laughs> something in the wall. The effects aren't terrible for being from 96. Side note, this red and black wallpaper is amazing, and I want it. So now the ghost entity wall thing is ruining the kitchen, chases the younger of the two women up the stairs, the old woman blasts it with a shotgun, and then title card, The Frighteners. <laughs> it's a very cool opening, the atmosphere, the music, everything works. It's great so far. Cut to a dreary day and what looks like a funeral car procession. Then we're at the local newspaper, The Gazette, with a little exposition. The mystery heart condition that has killed over 30 people in less than four years has claimed another victim. Doctors are baffled as to why seemingly fit and healthy people are suffering massive heart attacks. Many of Fairwater's residents are claiming that the shadow of death has once again descended on the town. What's this shadow of death stuff? I don't like it. It's what they're saying, Miss Reese Jones. There's a lot of scared people out there. For decades, the name Fairwater has been synonymous with death, following the infamous 1964 Bradley Bartlett murder spree. Thirty years later, as the death toll steadily rises, it appears the Grim Reaper has once again returned to the quiet streets of Fairwater. something fresh. I want to see the human face of the strategy. Get out there. Talk to the families. I want to know how this thing has impacted on the local communities. Yes, Miss Reese jones And Steve, no more reverences to death as a person. Cut to the graveyard during the funeral and we see our main character played by actor Michael J. Fox as Frank Bannister. And he is clearly not welcome at a funeral. So he drives off in his old Volvo that has definitely seen better days. Also, he is not a good driver. <laughs> and he crashes through a white picket fence of a house. This is where we meet the very cute Ray Linsky, who apparently loves his garden gnomes. Oh well, one down. Cut to a woman, Lucy, driving up to the creepy house, i.e. my dream house, from the beginning of the film. And immediately the very old woman storms out yelling, this is private property, get off. Then we find out Lucy is a doctor making the rounds for the doctor who's at the funeral today, so she is seeing all his patients. Inside the gorgeous house, we meet the other woman, Patricia. 
and the old woman is her mother, who won't let her leave the house even to get stitches on a deep cut. She also has bruises, and Lucy suspects someone is hurting her, just as her mother tells her to leave, and gives us a little info. I think you better go now, Dr. Linsky. You don't know who my daughter is, do you? Patricia's not to be trusted. I beg your pardon? I can have her locked up anytime I want to. They said she was an accessory after the fact. I know the truth. It was cold, blooded, murder. Then we get a cool cut to black and white newsreel showing a young Patricia. This was being watched by the doctor and her very fit husband, Ray, the gnome lover from earlier. In the space of 27 blood-soaked minutes, 12 innocent people gunned down by hospital orderly John Charles Bartlett. Patients, medical staff, visitors, no one was spared in this madman's rampage through Fairwater Sanatorium. Not even the hospital chapel provided sanctuary, as those in prayer were gunned down on their knees. A seemingly senseless crime. Bartlett's motive remains a mystery to this day. Any comments, Johnny? Got me a score of 12, sir. That's one more than Starkweather. Six years earlier, Charles Starkweather had murdered 11 people in a Nebraska killing spree. Guess that makes me public enemy number one. 15-year-old Patricia Ann Bradley, daughter of the hospital administrator, was also implicated in the killings. She was madly in love with the psychopath Bartlett. That's her. Suddenly, Ray finds Frank's card, and the room starts to go nuts. The bed levitates, the Elvis statue floats across the room, a raggedy Ann doll comes to life. And from down the hall, a chicken, a ready-to-cook chicken, not an all-feathery one, is walking down the hall. So Lucy goes to call Frank, while her husband says, no, there's got to be a rational explanation for this, as dishes and stuff is flying all around him. So she calls Frank anyway. So Frank shows up, knocking over the rest of the fence and running over the other gnomes. <laughs> Poor gnomes. So Frank starts up this weird machine, I guess to capture the ghost poltergeist thing, and he starts spraying holy water out of a squirt gun. I love the idea, by the way, of shooting holy water. Uh. Then the machine spits out this little foil baggie that apparently has six ectoplasmic emanations in it, or so Frank says. Then he puts them down the garbage disposal. I mean, would that even work? No. So Ray tells Frank that he can go. And as he does it, Frank sees a glowing number on Ray's forehead, the number 37. Weird. So right after Frank leaves, we see the creature from the beginning pressing through the wall of Ray and Lucy's house. Uh-oh, I don't think Frank's machine got all the ghosts. <laughs> well, Frank gets home, and we see that he seems to live in a half-built house. All of a sudden, two ghosts pop out of his trunk. Their names are Cyrus and Stuart. We find out that Frank can see ghosts and that ghosts are real and they are helping him con people thinking that they have ghosts. <laughs> but it doesn't seem very lucrative though by the look of things. And also his ghosts seem a little used and tired. Next morning, we get a little Frank shower scene. Though not enough if you ask me, but whatever, it was something. <laughs> we also meet another ghost, an old one, the judge played by the amazing John Aston. 
The judge's makeup and prosthetics are really well done, by the way. So it seems Frank owes $15,000 to the bank, or he will lose his half house. So they have to come up with a plan. So they show up to a large, fancy house to haunt. So you checked the place out, right? Right. When do we got in here? Five. They won't suspect a thing. <clears throat> Poor suckers, they won't even know what hit them. How many exits? Two. All right, man, this is it. We gotta be hard. No mercy. Going in like professionals like Charles Bronson. We don't stop till the screaming starts. You dig? I'm with you. Let's go. Yeah. Let's kick some ass. So Frank drives there badly. He does not care about his car, other people, himself, if he's on the road or not. <laughs> so he shows up to the fancy house and starts his spiel uh, to the lady of the house. But she doesn't care because she's read this morning's Gazette with a story about local con man haunts cemetery. That's clearly about him. So that's over. Though, honestly, if my children were floating around in midair and all that other stuff was happening... I don't know if I'd think it was fake. I don't know. I kind of like the idea of living in a haunted house, though. I mean, that would be so much fun. I mean, as long as there's air conditioning, I'm fine. <laughs> anyway, Frank heads over to the paper where we see the very striking, shall we say, Magda Reese Jones. I'm guessing she's the editor of the Gazette. What the hell are you trying to do to me? Praying on the bereaved is about as low as you can go. You're a parasite, Mr. Bannister, and people should be warned. Yeah, well, I got a right to offer my services to the public. In case you hadn't noticed, we are in the midst of a major health crisis. The last thing the people of Fairwater need is some two-bit charlatan promising to pass on bogus messages from the other side. Now, if you will excuse me. I'm just trying to make a living. Living? Not a word you'd know a lot about. Is it, Mr. Bannister? So he leaves a gazette and runs smack into the director of the film, Peter Jackson, in his best punk drag. <laughs> then he gets hit by a hearse and then just walks away. Um, hello, you just got hit by a car. You need money. There it was. Ow, my neck. Uh, whatever. But then the funeral car procession proceeds and we see that the grieving widow is none other than Dr. Lucy. So that means her very fit, hot husband died. That's weird. Oh look, there's Ray's ghost running down the street, and he runs right into Frank. Madison! Yeah. Listen, you gotta help. They're gonna bury me, man. You gotta help. Madison, what is happening to me? Well, Ray, you appear to be dead. Don't, don't say that. That is impossible. I'm the prime of my life. I work out every single day. My wife's a goddamn doctor. Why don't you take the corridor? What corridor? The corridor of life. Passageway to the other side. Because I don't belong on the other side. Jesus Christ, I'm only 29. Just relax, all right? Want to tell me what happened? I, I was on the rowing machine. And then suddenly I, I felt this, this, this vice-like grip just squeezing my heart. And I couldn't breathe, right? I just, I couldn't breathe. Oh, I've got the shakes now. I need some vitamin B. Yeah, you can't take vitamins anymore. You don't eat, you don't drink, you don't go to the bathroom. All that shit's over. <laughs> In about a year's time, you're going to get a chance to go through the other side again to become what's known as a pure spirit. But in the meantime, what's known as an earthbound emanation, which is a rotting cloud of bioplasmic particles dripping ectoplasm from every oh, orifice. Shit. All right, Pastor. Can you at least give me a ride so I don't miss my funeral? So they head up to Ray's funeral. And this is where we get the great scene with Hiles, the military, I guess, guardian ghost of the cemetery, who does not like Frank. Jesus! Frank 
the hell are you doing in my graveyard? You have been told to stay away! Don't act like you've got up here! Yeah, well, it's a public place, Hiles. I do not like you! You cannot bring your spooks in here without my permission! Disappear, scumbag! I am not one of your shitty little emanations, Bannister! You cannot push spirits around! You are scum! Using spooks to put the brighteners on people! That makes me physically ill! My tour of duty runs another 85 years! There's a piece of dirt up here with your name on it, Bannister! I'm waiting for you, you little maggot! So, at Ray's funeral, I think Ray cried more at his own funeral than anyone else did. But, you know, he was a bit of a massive narcissist. <laughs> and we meet the local sheriff, and he gives Frank a little clue as to recent deaths, also that the FBI is involved in the case now. Cut to later, with Frank and Lucy at dinner, so Ray can talk to Lucy. But she seems more into Frank's life, and we find out why Frank can see ghosts. He was in a car accident, and because of the trauma, uh, it altered his perceptions, so now he can see ghosts. Fun. I've been in car accidents. I can't see ghosts. Rude. So Frank goes to the restroom because Ghost Ray spills wine on him because he's being a potz. While in the restroom, he sees a man. No, not like that, sadly. But he sees that the man also has a number on his head. Then he sees the wall creature. And as the man is washing his hands, a cloaked phantom that looks very much like the Grim Reaper jumps out of the mirror and kills the guy with the number on his head. So Frank, in his car, chases after the phantom through town. But he crashes because he can't drive for shit, and the phantom gets away. Cut to the sheriff's office where Lucy is being questioned about this evening at the restaurant. This is where we meet special agent Milton Dammers from the FBI, played by Jeffrey Combs of Reanimator fame, and he plays this character amazingly. Everything about this character is insane, and I love it. And he gives us a little backstory. You know nothing about Frank Bannister. You claim he's a bona fide psychic, yet all I've heard is a lot of ill-informed, meandering waffle. On the third day of July, 1990, Frank Bannister then a successful architect was overseeing the construction of his new home. Now the building contractor, Jacob Platz, would later confirm that Bannister had been consuming alcohol that morning. 12.23 p.m. Platz sees Bannister heated argument with his wife, Deborah. It appears that Bannister had promised Deborah a garden in the new home and then, without consulting her, proceeded to lay a four-inch thick concrete slab creating a basketball court for himself. 12.31 p.m. Platz watches the car drive away. Bannister kept a toolbox in the back of his car. And in it was a utility knife with a retractable blade. 12.33 p.m. And the 84 Volvo heads into the hills. It is the last time anyone will see the couple together. Now, by Bannister's own admission, the argument continues to rage, reaching the climactic point when Deborah demands that Bannister stop, pull over, let her out, and at that moment, probably 12.36, 12.37 p.m., the car leaves the road on a short curve. Presumably because Bannister was driving too fast. She was killed? The body was found some 15 yards from the car. Now, Bannister, he was picked up two hours later, wandering in the woods. He claimed to have no recollection of the events that occurred after the accident. But here's the odd thing, Mrs. Lewinsky. His utility knife was missing. To this day, it has not been found. But do you know what was really bizarre? Deborah's corpse had the number 13 carved into its forehead. Cut to Frank, and he sees a heaven portal tube thing at the museum. 
So he rushes that way and he gets there and he sees the next number on the ghost. And in the crowd, he sees the editor of the Gazette and she has the next number on her forehead, number 40. And just as the Phantom is about to get her, the judge shows up and shoots him. And that scares him away for a while. Then there's the funny scene with the judge humping a mummy in a sarcophagus. Then the other two ghosts animate a mummy to help Frank escape. But just as he's about to leave, the Phantom returns. And he has a Grim Reaper scythe and kills the judge. So Frank kidnaps the Gazette editor to try and save her, I guess. And it's almost an exact reenactment of the crash that killed his wife and gave him the ability to see ghosts. And then he starts to remember what happened to his wife. So Frank shows up at the jail and he's arrested and tells Lucy to go home. Then there's a scene with Frank and the FBI agent where the FBI agent is trying to convince him he's the killer and he's using his mind powers to kill these people. The way the FBI agent acts and the way they film him is amazing. Like close up of his eyes and the fisheye lens and they're just doing so good with this FBI character. So the ghosts show up to help Frank get out of jail, but it seems he stopped believing and he can't see them. Cut to Dr. Lucy heading up to Frank's half house, I guess to snoop around. And this house is a mess. And Ray the ghost is with her. And she sees what used to be a basketball court is now a beautiful garden for his deceased wife. So while Lucy is at Frank's house, Frank gets a message on his answering machine. Aw, remember answering machines? I had the cutest answering machine message. Eh, anyway. Anyway, Frank gets a message on his answering machine from Patricia's mother. Yeah, Bannister. Mr. Bannister, you've got to help me. My daughter Patricia Ann Bradley is communing with the evil one. He's in this house at her instigation. Help me, help me drive them out. So Dr. Lucy goes to the creepy house instead and sneaks in while the mother is out. But Ray also tags along and sees that the house is some sort of pulsing evil entity itself. It's such a cool effect. Lucy goes in to save Patricia from, she thinks, her mother. Then there's this scene with an urn of ashes that Patricia says is her father's, that her mother makes her keep in her room because he killed himself because of the murders. So, so Patricia takes Lucy to her mother's room to show her all the papers from the trial and to tell Dr. Lucy that it wasn't her, it was all Johnny. Then Patricia's mother starts up the stairs, so Dr. Lucy hides in the mother's closet. While in there, she sees a box cutter with the initials FB on them, Frank Bannister. Then we see purple glowing dust coming from the urn. Cut to Lucy sneaking out of the house as the phantom is traveling through the walls and poor Ray gets his ghost face ripped off and his ghost skin, all of it, drops on Lucy's car. I guess he's gone for good. But that makes you think, if the phantom kills a ghost, where does it go? Do they explain that in here? I don't think so. It makes me think of that scene in Beetlejuice with the Lost Souls room. Is that where they go? Hmm. So Lucy goes to the jail to talk to Frank. While there, Frank sees the number 41 on her forehead, and the phantom starts to attack her. But the other two ghosts wrestle him off for a minute. And then the phantom kills Stuart, and then kills Cyrus, but... Frank and Lucy escape. Then Frank says he can't protect her, not like this. He needs to have an out-of-body experience, i.e. he needs to be a ghost. So he puts a gun to his head, but Dr. Lucy has a better idea. So her better idea is she's going to freeze him for 20 minutes, then revive him, hopefully. So he goes into the freezer and the countdown starts. So while he's freezing, 
She's getting all her supplies ready to bring him back. But who shows up but the FBI agent? And he has a machine gun or an Uzi or something and doesn't want to revive Frank. Cut to Frank having his out-of-body experience and not going into the light. Then we see the agent kidnapping the doctor so she can't revive Frank, but Frank sees the Phantom. And then there's this funny scene with the Phantom and Frank playing Frogger on the road and not quite getting to each other because of the cars. It's funny. The agent takes Lucy to the cemetery, where we find out a little more about the FBI agent. I knew Charlie. Spawn Ranch, 1969. First assignment. Uh, it was the family's sex life for six months. Six months service of my country disguised as filthy shipping my body is a road map of pain 1974 children of lucifer three years undercover drinking goat's blood 1981 i infiltrated the cult of the dead i was involved in Ritualistic cannibalism. In orgiastic dances reaching painful thresholds of intense physical eroticism. I have withstood excruciating pain. But I will not be broken. Okay, this FBI guy is nuts, but I love him. So Frank gets there just as the Phantom does. The Phantom kills the military guardian guy but frank grabs the military ghost's guns and shoots the phantom into pieces and we find out that the phantom is johnny bartlett the serial killer but all the pieces of the phantom start forming back together just as frank was about to kill him with his own scythe the doctor brings him back to life and his soul was sucked back across town and into his body so he didn't get johnny bartlett so Lucy goes to save Patricia and her mother from Johnny. But then Johnny's ghost shows up. I want to kill her now, Patty. That'll give us 41. That's eight clear, Casey. Another nine with a broken Bundy's record. Can't wait to see old Dan's face when he hears news. Yes! So Patricia goes to get her quote-unquote coat, but Johnny has other ideas. And then they play Sexy Stab in the kitchen... Lucy goes to ask if the mother is going with them, but she finds her in her bed all bloody and dead. She will never get the stains out of those sheets. Blood just does not come out. <laughs> Uh-oh, Patricia's going crazy with a knife, tries to kill Dr. Lucy. Then Patricia gets a gun, and Johnny becomes a rug and starts attacking Lucy, but Frank shows up, finally. And then they find that the ashes aren't the father's, but Johnny's, and they trap Johnny's spirit inside the urn. And they have to make it to a church... So they go to the old sanitarium's chapel. Then there's this cool part where it flashes between the past and the present day. And all the murders that both Patricia and Johnny committed in the past. It's a really well done scene. But while all this is happening, guess who shows up? The FBI agent, of course. Frank finally makes it to the chapel. But the ashes fall into the agent's hands and he dumps the ashes out, freeing Johnny. Then Patricia blows the FBI agent's head clean off but his ghost head is still there looking very confused. <laughs> then Frank finally remembers all of his wife's death and how Johnny and Patricia were involved. And she's about to blow his head off, but she's out of bullets. 
Then it's the fight, and Patricia chokes Frank to death. And just as Frank's Heaven's Portal tube thing shows up, he rips Patricia's soul out to pull it up with him to get Johnny into the light. So they are all three in the light tube. And Frank goes all the way up, and Johnny and Patricia stay in the tube. But then the tube turns into what looks like the inside of a creature, and all these snapping snake things start devouring them, and it just heads down. Ah, the old express bus to hell. No lies, no wait. Well, we do see what happens to ghosts when they die as ghosts. They go to heaven and get a new wardrobe. <laughs> but we find out it's not Frank's time, and he falls back into his body and in Lucy's arms. Aww. Cut to Frank's half-house being demolished and Lucy and Frank kissing. And then the sheriff shows up and he helps tie up the story. Sorry to interrupt you folks. I, well, Frank, what do you know about Ouija boards? Not a lot. I found a whole stack of them up at the Bradley house. It looks like Patricia just got herself a direct line to her dead boyfriend as soon as she was released five years ago. It seems like the old lady, when she got wind of Patricia's involvement in... Well, in your wife's death, and she just kept the girl sedated. She just couldn't stop Bartlett, though. Nice epilogue, Wall. It's well delivered. And Lucy sees the FBI agent ghost in the back seat of the sheriff's car. Oh, I guess she had a traumatic event. <laughs> the end. Well, that was The Frighteners from 1996. I love this movie. It's funny, it's creepy, it has a great story, great soundtrack, all the acting is good. And for the time, the effects were amazing, and most of them are still pretty good. So I give The Frighteners from 1996 9 out of 10 donut pillows. <laughs> now, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family. Feel free to send me any comments, questions, concerns. All my info is over at evilqueensf.com. And as always, keep watching scary movies. Frank. Hey, what do you think? Pretty scary, huh? Don't you ever do that again. See, maybe we should try a white sheet next time. There'll be no white sheets, bro. <laughs>